0: Jesus has a field day in the gospel according to Luke anyway with folks who have wealth and aren't quick to let it go. Now in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount Jesus says don't ever call anyone you fool because you'll be in danger of hellfire but in Luke that instruction is not there. Because after a while, Jesus starts to sound like Mr. T, I pity the fool. I'm your first stop for 1980s uh, pop culture references. You're welcome. But consider, consider the parable that Jesus tells of a rich man. He's just retired. He's stored up all this money for a, a comfortable retirement He's built bigger barns to put it all in. And and he doesn't even know that the day he retires, that night, his life is going to be demanded of him. In the parable, God comes into the scene as a character and says to the man, you fool. Then there's also the rich ruler. The young ruler, you remember him? He's a good church-going boy. Uh, Do-gooder. Uh, top of his class, kept all the commandments, not an easy feat. Just one of those guys you like to have around in church. Comes up to Jesus, says, what do I do to inherit the kingdom? Jesus says, the kingdom. (laughs) It would be easier for a camel to thread a needle than for you to get in the kingdom. I like to imagine it as a camel with the hooves trying to thread a needle, not go through the eye of a needle. It's just funnier. It's just the camels trying. Then there's the pastors that Jesus confronts, the lawyers, the CEOs, the think tank fellows, all the people that kind of drive the language and the culture. Jesus says, you know, things would be a lot better if you guys would just give alms. You fools, he said. Well, then we come to the rich man, aptly named in this parable, the, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And that's all the name that rich man gets. That's it. He's just the rich man. Which wouldn't be abnormal because throughout the parables, that's all the names people get. It's just a certain man or a woman or a nobleman or a sower or a manager, as we heard last week. This is a rich man. What's the difference? Because this is the very first parable and the only parable in which a character receives a name. The rich man and Lazarus. And that's not the only difference between the two. The rich man is clothed in in velvet and fine linens. While Lazarus is clothed in sores, festering sores the kind of sores that attract dogs from the neighborhood. The rich man lives behind a gate, probably has a password protection on it. On the other side, there lies Lazarus, exposed to the elements. The rich man feasts, the text says, sumptuously every day. Think truffle butter. Y'all need to get out more. Um... (laughs) And while Lazarus longs longs for the crumbs that fall from his table, so we know, at the very least, if we know nothing else about the relationship between these two, that they live in close proximity to one another. Because Lazarus longs from crumbs that fall from the table, so either he's outside the window looking into the restaurant or he's out back behind the restaurant, digging through the trash. He's close to the rich man. Lazarus is not on the other side of the world. We do not see him emaciated, his belly distended through a television screen. He's not an abstraction or a principle or a statistic. He lies at the gate. He sees He smells the richness of the food, the perfumes. Perhaps the rich man smells Lazarus, odious Lazarus, and maybe that's why he continuously averts his gaze every time he passes through the gate of his own house. This is one of my favorite parables. Because it's so unique, not only because someone gets a name, but because we get a rare, precious window of a view into the other side. We get a porthole, if you will, to look through and see what life is like on the other side of death. And Jesus narrating the description. On the other side, there is a fixed chasm. But not yet. First, we see the two. Lazarus drawn into Abraham's bosom. That is, Abraham's heart. Where Abraham uh, gives shelter and comfort to Lazarus, who did not have good things in life. While the rich man is even buried differently. He's just buried. The angels take Lazarus away. The rich man is just buried. (laughs) And on this other side... The rich man has to look across a great distance from Hades to the place of comfort that Lazarus rests in with Abraham. And he begins a conversation. Oh, Father Abraham, it's dreadfully hot in these flames. Please send Jeeves, I mean, please send Lazarus to dip. His finger into the cool water and touch my tongue because this is the hottest September that I can remember. It's agony and agony I tell you. Where are my linens? I swear I packed them. It's not until Abraham sees the way that the rich man treats Lazarus even on the other side of death that Abraham says that the chasm has been fixed. And I wonder if it's because Abraham himself is even surprised because he finds out that after all, the rich man did know Lazarus's name. Every time in life that the rich man passed by Lazarus, we don't think that he said ever a single hello. He never offered him food from his sumptuous feasts. He never looked up at the high sun and saw Lazarus getting sunburned and offered him clothing from his closet. He never saw, if he did see Lazarus's sores, he never said, Lazarus, come into my home. I have a medicine cabinet with salves and lotions and ointments. Come. No, all that time, all through his life, all in close proximity, he never called Lazarus by name until he gets to the other side. And even then, all he does is promote Lazarus from bottom out of sight class to low working class. Send him to cool me off. Even in death, the rich man treats Lazarus like the help. Send him to dip his finger into the cool water and touch my tongue because I'm in agony in these flames. And Abraham negotiates with him a bit. And the rich man negotiates back and says, well, if you can't help me, can you send him to my father's house because I have five brothers and they're just like me, greedy as all, and you need to send him to them. There might be a chance. Abraham says, not going to do it. Then the gall of this guy, The rich man asks for a resurrection. Well, maybe you could just raise someone from the dead and send whoever that is. Because if they see a resurrection, then they'll believe. Send him to dip his finger. Send him to my father's house. Send someone raised from the dead if you got somebody. Anything. Anything. Except for me changing my mind about who Lazarus is. Am I my brother's keeper? Maybe it's on the other side of this life. Maybe it's not so much that we're thrown into the fire for doing bad as much as what's been hidden becomes revealed. How we lived, how we shared, How he crossed the chasms between us and stepped over the boundaries that we set and walked past the divisions that we name that become revealed and amplified on the other side of this life. Maybe that's what happens. Maybe we're all in a good situation here because through the church, God is at work Closing chasms left and right. Closing chasms in worship between strangers. Closing chasms in Bible study between good and incorrect understandings. On mission between those who have and have not. And fellowship with one another when strangers become friends. All these chasms here begin to close so that there they don't exist. Have you ever been witness to a chasm closing? Now, I know in our country there's a great chasm between rich and poor, and and that is a a major issue for all of us, but maybe the divide between the wealthy and the poor in our country doesn't necessarily start at the ballot box or in the executive office. It can happen there, but maybe it begins for each one of us here. Closing the chasms before they become fixed there. Remember one time I was in Richmond. I was uh, a student at seminary, and I was launching out to learn about what other churches were like. Part of a classroom assignment. I was in the largest Catholic church in downtown Richmond. Walked inside, walked up into the chancel, the head and sat down in a smaller circle where they were serving mass or communion. And because I'd heard stories, I just figured I wasn't gonna be part of this communion, I wasn't gonna be invited up, so I was sitting there patiently, just waiting for time to pass so I could write my paper about the Catholics. (laughs) And uh, all of a sudden, the priest caught my eye and he looked sort of confused, and he waved me forward. He said, come. come. Come up and eat. And for the first time, when I thought I wouldn't be allowed to take communion in a church, I was invited to the table in a chasm between a nefarious Baptist And a tried and true Catholic closed. One another great chasm that I witnessed closing was in the dean of Duke Chapel once upon a time, went up to the custodian of the church named Oscar Dantzler. Notice I didn't name the dean. Oscar Dantzler, years ago, I was a child when this happened, came up to him and said, you know, Oscar, I see how you work with the students and how beautiful you keep the chapel and how beloved you are, have you ever thought about maybe you're called to this? Maybe you're, maybe you're the minister of the chapel. After all, every time I ask someone else to arrange these chairs, they can't ever do it like you do it. Half the time when I talk to students in my office, they've already talked to you and the advice you gave them is better than what I got. And over the course of decades, Uh, Recently, there was a story about Oscar Danzler in a statewide newspaper. And I'll tell you this I've never seen a story about a dean of Duke Chapel in a statewide newspaper. A chasm closes. Maybe if that's just the business that we're up to, is chasm closing. If anyone asks you what kind of Christian you are, you you can just say, I'm a chasm closer. That's my business. That's my bag. That's what we do at First Baptist Church of Asheville. I want to close with a vision of the final city. When you get to the end of Revelation, you see that there's a city that has been newly implanted. There's a, a new heaven and a new earth and a city New Jerusalem comes out of heaven and is fused with the old Jerusalem, and something new is created. And around the city, there's a a wall, and all around the wall, there are gates. And did you know that all of those gates are always open? All of the gates are always open, and John the Revelator describes people coming in and out of the city, bringing their gifts for all eternity, But you know, there's other places in scripture where Jesus describes people on the outer side of that wall weeping and gnashing their teeth. And I believe that those folks who are outside the wall weeping and gnashing their teeth are the same people we might see today who look in on a party and they think all the wrong kinds of people have been invited so they don't want to go in. And so here's what I imagine might be true in heaven if we're really about the business of chasm chasm closing here, that in heaven, First Baptist Church will still exist. uh, At least the dome will, I hope. Um, And there will be an outside the gate team And we'll send our outside the gate team to go from inside the walls to the outside of the walls to find those people weeping and gnashing their teeth and saying, why don't you come on inside? There is a great party going on. All the fun kinds of people are sitting around the table and we are feasting, we are singing praises to God, and we are enjoying friendship with one another for all eternity. I mean, maybe that's even a new parable. Those walking around the outskirts of the wall of the new city. And amongst them are people like us saying, Hey, there's a party inside. Why don't you come on in? After all, aren't you my brother? And my sister? And aren't I your keeper? Amen.